Hello and welcome to the Amateur Austenite. My name is Frances Duncan. I'm an author and the founder of the Jane Austen Society of New Zealand. My very special guest with me today is my friend Jeanne. Good afternoon. And today we are talking about Chapter 5 of Persuasion by Jane Austen. In Chapter 5, stuff finally starts to happen after all of the talking of the previous chapters. Admiral and Mrs Croft turn up to see the house. They agree that they want to rent it and then almost straight away... Sir Walter and Elizabeth go to Bath and take Mrs Clay with them and goes to stay with Lady Russell who then takes her to Uppercross to stay with her sister Mary and Mary's not very well and then they go for a visit uh, Anne and Mary go for a visit to the great house at Uppercross. So quite a lot happens in this chapter it's the longest chapter that's been in this book so far it's nine pages in my book. It starts off well with the morning appointed for the Admiral and Mrs Croft to be seeing Kellich Hall and then Anne found it most natural to take her daily walk to Lady Russell's to be out of the way and then she was really sorry that she was when she came back. <laughs> she ran away. Yes she's avoiding avoiding meeting them. But she wants to meet them at the same time. Mm. It says that each la- lady was previously well disposed for an agreement uh, so that's Mrs Croft and Elizabeth and so we assume that they are the ones that are uh, that are moving things forward. That yes. it's Mrs. Croft and Elizabeth that are really making the decisions for the men. Um, and it's quite funny that Sir Walter had been flattered into his very best and most polished behaviour, like a child. Oh, he is. Mr. Shepherd's assurance of his being known by report to the Admiral as a model of good breeding. So he has to live up to it. Yes. Sir Walter without hesitation, declared the Admiral to be the best-looking sailor he's ever seen. (laughs) And all he needed was for his own man to arrange his hair. (laughs) He should not be ashamed of being seen with him. Even though he was merely an Admiral. The Admiral says, the Baronet will never set the Thames on fire. But there seems no harm in him. Yes, reciprocal compliments. It seems like they've been told that he was quite difficult and they knew what to expect. Well, I think, of course, as we move on, we know exactly where they would have got some of their information from. Oh, you think they got some from Captain Wentworth? I think Mrs Croft would have got some of the information from him. He's an admiral. He'll have done his investigations. He'll have, you know, he won't have just relied on Mr Shepherd. He would have made inquiries, I'm sure. He might have even looked at De Brett's Peerage to find out more about the <laughs> So Walter's favourite book. Yes. So they're not moving until Michaelmas, which is the 29th of September. But um, Sir Walter's proposing to move to Bath but almost almost straight away because Anne's concerned about the white-hot glare of Bath in September. So she doesn't really want to be there. Yeah, and Lady Russell, oh, this kills me, convinced that Anne could not be allowed to be of any use or any importance. And choosing the house in Bath um, wants her to stay with her. So Anne agrees to stay with Lady Russell. But then in her place, Elizabeth chooses Mrs Clay to go with her as an indispensable companion. I know. And Lady Russell's quite right. Anne would not have been allowed to have been of use or any importance. Mrs Clay being so much useful, Anne could be a nun, was a very sore aggravation. And in exchange, um, Mary, who's the middle sister, has begged Anne to come and stay with her. To be claimed as a good is at least better than being rejected is no good at all, so she's happy to go. Yes. But I think that's still quite hard. And it's actually... Elizabeth who says, then I'm quite sure Anne had better stay, for nobody will want her in Bath. How rude. How cutting to say about your own sister. And that's 
Yes, something which uh, struck me as I got to the later part of the chapter. So Anne warns Elizabeth about Mrs Clay with a great deal of quiet observation, which makes her seem like a lurker in her own family, is how she, she knows her father's character. She knows what's going on and she knows that Mrs Clay is quite attractive despite her faults. She is still an attractive young woman and she has a very attractive personality. And particularly to, to the two of them because she's very good at obsequiousness, giving them all consequenceness. Elizabeth, of course, is, gets really pissy about it, to be fair. But Elizabeth won't, she won't listen, listen to anything that Anne says. It says Anne had done, glad that it was over. She has this huge sense of relief. Yes. And she's not absolutely hopeless of doing good. So then she warns them just as they're about to set off for Bath, and then they set off for Bath. And Anne walks up in desolate tranquility to the lodge. I love that phrase. So the, so the lodge is where uh, Lady Russell lives. So it's part of Callanche. And she rents it from Sir Walter. They drove off with very good spirits with condescending bows for all of the afflicted tenantry and cottagers who might have had a hint to show themselves. That's so Sir Walter. I know. I imagine he has a particular way of like the Queen does. Well, the Queen may have a particular way, but I don't think she does it in quite the same way. Oh, no, no, not at all, not at all. I didn't mean to <laughs> disparage the Queen. Anne goes to stay at Upper Cross, where her sister Mary lives. And Mary's married to Charles, who had first proposed to Anne, but Anne rejected him. And that is the proposal that Lady Russell wished she had accepted. And I think everybody in that family wishes she'd accepted too. So Upper Cross is only a couple of miles from Kellynch. Mm. The Upper Cross family are second in the county to Sir Walter. Uh, and it gives some description of the mansion of the squire and then the cottage of his son where Charles and Mary live, which is new and has French doors, French windows and a veranda and other pretty prettinesses. It gives a good description of Mary as well. Like Elizabeth, she has no resources for solitude which is really necessary for women of this time. They need to be able to keep themselves entertained because there isn't really that much to do. So inheriting a considerable share of the Elliot self-importance was prone to add every other distress that her fancy herself neglected and ill-used. She's inferior to both her sisters, which seems a bit harsh. And she's a hypochondriac. But I think Mary probably loved getting married before her sisters, and I don't think... I don't think that she knew that Anne had been proposed to first, otherwise she would probably be uh, less inclined to invite Anne, I think. I can't see Anne having made a big thing because she wouldn't have wanted to have embarrassed Charles or anything. No. I think she would have made Charles a good wife, though. I think she would have made Charles an excellent wife, and they could have been content. I think she could have grown to love him. But he and Mary play off, not that we get to meet Charles yet, but they do tend to play off each other and show off each other's worst parts. Yes, Mary was not a, is not a good bargain for Charles because he's a bit of a weak man, I think. Yeah, and to have a domineering wife. It's not good. Oh, imagine if you'd married Elizabeth. It would have been even worse. Oh. <laughs> yes, well, that wouldn't have happened. No, no. So Mary's thinking herself very unwell. And she's upset that Lady Russell wouldn't come in and um, mm. see her. Anne said all that was proper and then inquired after her husband. Or Anne inquired after her husband. And I wonder if those are two separate things. Saying what is proper to her about Lady Russell not coming in and then separately inquiring about her husband or whether the what is proper is inquiring after her husband. Because there's a comma there which makes me question whether that's two separate things. 
Mira's complaining about being left alone, but then she's like, well, I saw my husband before I went shooting this morning and I did see my boys. They were in here this morning, but then I sent them away. And I did see Mr. Musgrove through the window and he did talk to me. So she hasn't been <laughs> alone, completely alone. She thinks of Anne the same as the rest of her family. She's yeah. she's quite disparaging. What could you possibly have had to do? And the you is, as in italics, like, what could you? You're not important. You're not married. You're not the oldest. What could you possibly have had to do? And then Anne lists quite a lot of stuff she's had to do because presumably she's been doing a lot of the organising for going to Bath. Oh, she'll have done the bulk of the work. Yeah, Anne would have been doing all the packing and things like that, sorting that, keeping the... Or supervising the packing. Supervising the packing and also locking up what needed to be locked up and things as well. And the other key thing is that the one thing she had to do of a more trying nature was going to almost every house in the parish as a sort of take leave. I was told that they wished it. Now that's actually what Elizabeth should have done. Also Walter even. And Sir Walter. Because the tenants might feel like they're being abandoned. And the tenants are very dependent upon their landlord. So Anne persists in uh, her patience and forced cheerfulness, um, which produces nearly a cure on Mary's part. Uh, she can soon sit upright on the sofa and began to hope she might be able to leave it by dinner time. And she completely forgets that she's supposed to be sick and goes to the other end of the room to fiddle with the flowers. That's right. And then she's like, let's go for a walk. I've been horribly, horribly sick. But let's go for a walk. And they go to what they call the great house, which is the squire's house, her in-laws. It's kind of against what Mary wants to do because Mary thinks that they should come and visit Anne because Anne is her sister and rank, etc., etc. Yes. Anne had always thought such a style of intercourse highly imprudent, and I wonder about the word imprudent, whether it's the coming and going out of each other's houses or Mary wanting to pull rank that she thinks is imprudent. Yes, it's interesting because the sentence goes on, highly imprudent ceased to endeavour to check it from believing that though there were on each side continual subjects of offence neither family could now do without it because it says they're always in and out of each other's houses they're a cheery family any other woman i think could have enjoyed being part of the family i think they're a lovely family i think Anne would have fit in really well Anne would have fitted in really well she would have made made a good job of it so they, they try to involve mary but mary is just such a misery She's just one of those people that you is so draining. And she thinks she's superior. She thinks she's superior to those lovely, lovely people. They sound quite fun. They sound quite cheerful. Very good sort of people, friendly and hospitable, not much educated and not at all elegant. And then they talk about the family improving, that the next generation is more elegant, more educated. And I wonder if this modernisation and people in houses, because they're also you know, they have the new cottage, is I like the Elliots versus the old world. So the Elliots have got their old house and they're very in the old manners, whereas the Musgroves are much more open. The old English style and the young people in the new. They mention the two oldest daughters. And I could imagine, actually, that old English style was actually more brusque, more rough around the edges. The Georgians as opposed to the Regencies, which are starting to get into the more refined. King George you know, was named Farmer George. I did not know that. Yeah, so he was very into his farm. So it was very much a, um, you know, the John Ball syndrome. So they were the, the buff swires, you know, and that was... Very different to Sir Walter. So maybe we could say Sir Walter is more modern then. No, Sir Walter is just a total eccentric of his own, I think, in his own... 
I don't think there's anything about modernness in him. I, he he is fashionable, but I don't know that he's well educated. You don't I don't get that feel. I don't know that he's ill educated. I just don't know anything beyond his desire for for looking good. So they mentioned the two eldest daughters, Henrietta and Louisa, who are 19 and 20, who we get to see quite a bit of. They seem quite fun. And it's a little sad for Anne wanting to have a real sister. Like, they have real real sisters. They Yes, that's something that comes right through, doesn't it? Just, they are very loving sisters with each other. They enjoy each other's company. They have a lot of fun. And Anne can only look at that and... You know, I think, what's happened to my sisters? Why don't I? Because there's no sense of relationship at all between the three Elliot sisters, I think. Elizabeth keeps very much to herself and tries to have relationships with her sisters. Well, she certainly does with Mary. She tries to support her as much as she can. But Anne always contemplated them as some of the happiest creatures of her acquaintance. Mm. Good-humoured and mutual affection, of which she had known so little herself with either but she would not have given up her own more elegant and cultivated mind for all their enjoyments. Which is, I think, the only time possibly you could see Anne being a little bit snobby, you could argue. It could come across, but I think it gives her that, essentially that mind is what gives her a, her retreat, her books. and her... Yeah, she probably wouldn't have coped if she didn't have the mind that she does. No. Because she is so much by herself. She could have been a Mary, a Mary Bennett. Yeah, who didn't have the real capacity to find an escape in books. She made her worse, really. It comes down to the fact that Anne had Lady Russell basically as a surrogate mother. And Lady Russell was a well-educated and and a good woman, just also somewhat proud of her place in society. And proud of her friend's place in society. Mm. So they have a good visit at the great house and they stay the whole half hour. Nothing seemed amiss on the side of the great house family, which is generally, as Anne, knew, as Anne very well knew, the least to blame, meaning it's usually Mary's fault if there's a problem between the families. Her pride causes a lot of problems. Mary's pride. The Musgroves seem to have sort of robust good health and they'd be inclined to play down... Mary's illnesses? Even their own, probably. They just don't seem the kind of people who make a big thing about illness. You know what I mean? And Mary just it sort of seems like inversely in proportion to the amount of moaning you make as to how you're sick. So hers often seems more about nobody's taking enough notice of her rather than she's really sick. Yeah, and it says that. She wants when she's, she's happy when she's got attention and she's occupied. But if she feels the slightest bit slighted, then all hell breaks loose. And of course, I suppose to a certain extent, she was the youngest child, wasn't she? So she wants that attention. She's been accustomed to it, maybe. Certainly from Anne, probably. And that is our summary of Chapter 5 of Persuasion by Jane Austen. My name is Frances Duncan. You can find me at francisduncanwrites.com and on Twitter at Francis underscore Duncan. Thank you for listening and we wish you happy reading. Just popping back in to let you guys know that we have merch now. I haven't actually got merch with my face on it. That seems a little weird to me, but if you really want it, let me know and I'll do that. There's merch of the Jane Austen Society of Aotearoa New Zealand's logo, uh, some Jane Austen merch, and some Pride and Prejudice heavily Pride-focused merch too. It's on Redbubble and the link is in the notes. Happy buying!